Hello everyone, welcome to Intimate Animation, brought to you by the online animation magazine Squiggly.com. This series covers animation that takes on adult themes of love, relationships, and sex. So steal yourself as there's some frank discussion ahead. Hello, hello, welcome to another episode of Intimate Animation. Squiggly podcast with me, Ben Mitchell and Laura Beth Cowley. Laura Beth, hello. Hello. Uh, it's been a minute since we did one of these. This has been a very staggered season of intimate animation. But, you know, it's been a kind of busy time, really. I think that's how the sort of time gets away from us. Squiggly listeners, of course, will be uh, will have been tuning in to our Squiggly Film Club, which we did for a while. And that will resume at some point, I'm sure. Uh, we've also got the new uh, Visible and Visuals podcast. I love the fact that we uh, we stopped doing the lockdown um, podcast. We're like, we're out of lockdown, basically. And now we're like... Oh, it's oh, wrapping wait. up. It's wrapping up. And now we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Will we restart it if there's a second lockdown? Maybe. I don't think the first lockdown ever really ended. No, it never did. But I think we were hopeful, like... We're going to go outside. You know, um, what's the... Is it an old Disney film where it's like... I think it's in maybe in Fantasia, you know, when, like, the unicorns are being born and they're like... <laughs> da, 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 and all the plants and stuff are growing and everyone's really happy and then, like, something bad happens. That's what, like, the relaxing of lockdown felt like. Like, everyone, like, going outside and throwing flowers and braiding each other's ponytails. Yeah. And oh, then yeah. it was like... Da, da, da. You remember we actually aren't done <laughs> i don't think i'm remembering that well enough what i'm picturing when you describe that is that that scene in fantasia and then skipping ahead to the night on bear mountain yeah scene. it's kind of like a mushing of those two <laughs> things just boris johnson opening his big bat cave <laughs> like doom the economy he's throwing the lightning bolts furlough <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a dark time. What was what were they in Fantasia? Because they weren't unicorns. It was the what's the word? Centaur. Centaur. But there um, were unicorns, and there were Pegasi. Pegasus. Pegasi. What's the uh, plural of Pegasuses? Pegasuses. Pegasuses. I think Pegasi might be it. I like it. Pegasi. Yeah. Well, you've actually had a pretty busy time yourself. Uh, you've been working on a new film. That's how we know when uh, why podcasts haven't happened for a while because Laura's actually got something on. <laughs> and she's like, to the PhD, which one would think? Yeah, <laughs> it's more malleable, I suppose. You can well, put I more think things. the PhD is more like everyone else's day to day. Like right. you know, if you worked in like a shop or something and you had shifts, that's what the PhD feels like to me. But when I have an animation project, I'm like, shut up, everyone leave me alone. Everything's on fire. My computer just exploded. Which it did. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> when there's an important thing on that is when everything starts to shit the bed. Yeah. 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 Way of the world. Uh, we've also been quite busy the last couple of weeks with the Encounters Film Festival, which, as with many major film festivals, has migrated to the online sphere. Mm. And uh, rather successfully... I think that the whole process is finding its footing a bit. Like, we, we've done a couple of digital festivals, I guess since April, May, and each one has progressively become a more sort of smooth affair. And this one's been pretty user-friendly. What I found quite fascinating is they've all been very different. Yeah. The way that they choose to operate under, and like the ticketing system, yeah. and the, just the general... 
interface but they've been all quite good like they've been easy like kind of easy to navigate as long as you have a reasonable understanding of computers yeah they haven't kind of had the sort of strict sort of program designation that other festivals have had they've just kind of put everything there like a sort of short film netflix mm. uh but each day they've been doing curated playlists and that's kind of a nice way yeah to do it. i really enjoyed that that fact of it like it kind of reminded me a bit of like annecy but annecy's interface was a bit of a nightmare mm. but i like the fact that you actually could see a program but i then we've been to some other festivals where it's like you have to tune in to that specific screening or whatever. And I haven't really liked that aspect of it because it's quite easy in lockdown, as we said at the beginning, to just forget what time it is. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, crap. I missed it by like an hour. <laughs> so there's no point tuning in. Yeah. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds. Like you can choose to watch the whole program or just half of it or whatever. Yeah. The Q&As have been really good. Have they now? <laughs> I just like the way in which they've been done. I like the fact that they're live, but I'm glad that there aren't audiences sort of visually there sort of, and popping yeah. up. Because wasn't there... What was it that... Oh, no, it was Comic-Con where there was like a thing where they would be doing like Q&As and then like people could video call in. And they're like, look at my garden! And I was like, I don't fucking care about your garden. I'll just stupid Christ. question, you dumb cow. Oh, someone wants to say hello and like, the fucking cat gets lifted yeah, into the shot. Yeah, it's just like, just ask the question. This Q&A's already been going on for three hours and it's about the new Bill and Ted movie. <laughs> like, I, I'm interested, but I don't give a crap about Karen and Ohio's cat's opinion of it. You know? I bet Karen and Ohio's cats found it non-heinous <laughs> maybe even bodacious <laughs> but you know it's it's one of those things of everyone getting used to it i do feel like now festivals can start seeing this as an opportunity and not just a bandage to cover the fact that we obviously can't have physical festivals like there are some quite interesting things you can do with this and i do think the fact that you can actually get all of your filmmakers involved yeah. and they don't really have the the fact that they're not in the country to fall back on yeah i do wonder if that will be things something that in the new world they'll sort of be able to sort of half adapt to i could see a version of this being implemented in future editions of the festival for people who aren't actually able to make the trek now that everyone and their grandma knows what Zoom is, mm. there could be more sort of filmmaker roundtable panels. I've found that it's been a pretty smooth process for people who have been, uh, who bought tickets to Encounters and have been watching the Q&As will have perhaps picked up that I've been doing about half of the animation ones. And yeah, it's, it's felt quite comfortable, at least from my end. It felt like it went a lot slower when I was on the receiving end, because... Obviously, I can't interview myself. As amusingly meta as that might have been. I think I was the, like, one of the first, on one of the first Q&As. Yeah. Was it the first one? I think it was the yeah. first one. The first animated animation one. Yeah. So. I mean, what was your sort of opinion then as a, being on the receiving end of the... I liked it. It was good. Um, someone uh, asked a question that was really up my street, so that helps a lot. So then I was just like, everyone on, on me, let's talk about horror and animation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and kind of commandeered it. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It was like, tell me dogs. more. I'm like, let's talk about, let's talk about horror, baby. It was actually quite nice. Was the um, had a sort of high number of Bristol-based filmmakers with films in competition. I don't think 
deliberately. I think it just sort of turned out that way. Mostly live action, except for literally me and you had the, an animation. That was issue. weird. <laughs> and uh, they held a sort of very, very small scale version equivalent of, you know, the type of physical event that they would have been doing throughout the days at a normal festival. And it was, you know... It, it was really nice, but I'm very glad that we're not doing a physical version of the festival this year in the sense that I don't think I could go to the number of screenings a day I normally would go to wearing a mask yeah. all the bloody time. I've been hearing that some festivals that my film has been getting into, and I think it's happened with yours as well, is some of them do have physical screenings either on their own or like simultaneous with the online screenings. And I've been a little bit like, hmm, about that. Mm. Anyway, everyone ha- every venue has its safety regulations, and they vary from country to country. My sort of attitude was, let's go and see how it's set up, and if we're comfortable, we'll stick around. And it turned out to be a pretty comfortable affair. Everything was pr- like very spaced out. And- Twelve of us. Yeah, in a, in a large space. Yeah. I mean, we were less packed in than we would have been on the street. Oh, yeah. Especially in, yeah, especially in Bristol. Yeah. But that, for me, was the first time I'd actually been able to see my film on a big screen, Mm, uh, because I had missed the few that happened before COVID hit. I mean, also, it's that kind of sad thing of, like, your film, because of it being a comedy and it having quite a strong punch line, would actually elicit quite a good reaction, I think. Um, Well, they got a a pretty good reaction from a very, very small crowd. But that's what I mean. Like, that's what I think makes it a shame. Can you tell how thirsty I am? (laughs) (laughs) I just want the laughs, damn it. Like, then can you imagine sitting through an hour and 28 minutes for your two-minute film and be like... (sighs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, small mercies. (laughs) I would have quite liked to see if, like, my film made men uncomfortable. Because whenever I explain it, it makes men uncomfortable. I think some guys are just automatically, you know, tug at their shirt collar kind of thing. (laughs) What I definitely enjoyed about seeing your film, The Gift, on a big screen was, because I hadn't seen that in a little while, and really appreciating the quality of the art and the animation and what that sort of format really kind of brings to it, really kind of helps it. This has become the Lauren Ben podcast. <laughs> it, it's literally our podcast. We can yeah, talk about whatever the fuck we like. <laughs> you must have an extensive knowledge of our films, though. Otherwise well, you're going to be like, skip to the end. I think it's clear we're framing this as our perspectives on the current societal norms and festival presentation and blood like, no, just it's watch unus- our films it's an unusual take to be able to not only be watching festival screenings but also be a filmmaker and yeah. being the one that is also judging and interviewing filmmakers it's a work we couldn't be more in it yeah if it was you know unless we were actually also programming it so that was a nice event but yeah it kind of reinforced that i'm not really sort of ready for cinemas to be a regular thing but yeah i'm sure people are listening at this point and chomping at the bit because when are they going to get to the sex because that's what they tune in for no doubt are we (laughs) it's not a particularly sexy episode there's one no we we kind of moved away from um yeah i guess in the earlier days it was more about like animation with fucking in it Mm. (laughs) now it's it's more more like like, they like each other and it's really nice (laughs) we've gone the opposite way well, that was always sort of meant to be part of the remit, and I think the sex stuff was more fun to talk about, because... It just is. Yeah. I guess following on from 
the encounters, some of the encounters films we've seen have this as a theme. Yeah, there have been some uh, really nice ones. We'll start um, with the sex. <laughs> sex, sex, sex. Um, what uh, What was the... The sex moves one there. Sex moves. That was a film. It was indeed. Tell us about it. It's a film. It's a 2D, brightly coloured film in which the interviewer, who we don't see, asks a group of people how to have sex. And then all of the characters sort of do weird sex moves. Yeah. Sort of like... um, Like innuendo dance. Passing on wisdom to the kind of younger generation, but through these like performance ritually things that are people who you know know the subject quite well kind of know exactly what they're inferring but to someone that hasn't actually had sex will probably just find it to be garbled nonsense but that was a lot of fun yeah that was a good film that was by alex bernas and uh, i believe the film is actually online anyway even if you don't have the encounters pass uh So yeah, I mean, that's sort of one of those nice sort of short and sweet ones that isn't taking the subject enormously seriously, but it's sort of playful and quite fun to watch. There was another film that was also sort of lighthearted, but actually kind of like soul-destroying at the same time, and it was uh, it made it to Late Lounge, and it was when I'd caught doing pre-selection, I was like, well, this is an objectively very well-made film, like the animation is great, and the punchline is fantastic the sort of final scene but the journey to get there is is really horrific and it uh yeah (laughs) so i kind of put it forward i'm like i mean it's a it's a well-made film i'm not sure if we're allowed to show something like this anyway i guess i feel um, like that's a red flag to a bull in pre-selection like controversy (laughs) do mind if i do well, people haven't battened an eyelid at it, from what I can tell. Like, people have taken it very much in stride. So maybe I, ironically, You've got soft being, in your old age. Yeah, I'm being prudish. Um, it's called Nox Insomnia, and it's by uh, Guy Chano, or Guy Chano, a Brazilian animator who is, you know, like I say, very, very good at his craft. And he works on some pretty, you know, innocuous but very high end IPs, stuff like Hilda, which is mm-hmm. beloved. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, things like that. And he goes from these children's shows and he makes these short films that are largely inspired by the sort of macabre writings of a friend of his. Short stories, I guess, and he makes them into animated films. And they're awful, but they're very funny. And uh, this one is about a kid who is, you know, struggling with asserting himself and being a man, I guess. And that's something that recurs in his films, the sort of themes of manhood and what exactly that involves. And usually what comes through is Hmm. a fairly toxic version of manhood. It's basically like whoever's got the biggest gun or whoever can throw the hardest punch. And I would recommend looking at his other films. So if you find him on uh, Vimeo or his website is cargocollective.com slash Gishano. He filmed it did called A Man Called Man, which is this sort of father-son passing on wisdom from generation to generation. Again, kind of uh, toxic wisdom. And The Poet of Horrible Things, which is also about a father and son, but it's more about the father being, I guess, sort of trying to fathom the son's creative impulses. And I found that one actually kind of relatable 
thinking back to when my parents would listen back to things I had made or things I had drawn and be like, oh, okay, right. And sort of scratch their heads and want to be supportive, but sort of finding it horrible at the same time. And that's sort of the theme of The Poet of Horrible Things. Uh, so those two are online now already. I'm not sure if Nox Insomnia is yet. Yeah, there's just a trailer at the moment. So uh, you can catch it at Encounters for the last few days that Encounters are on. Strap in. Uh, you're probably wondering why we're talking about it on this podcast. Basically, there's a very, very lengthy and extraordinarily graphic sexual scenario in it. Which, um, yeah, it's something to behold. I really like this. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't bother me remotely, but it is very, yeah, it's graphic. But the uh, narration is particularly good. Did you get the writer to do the narration? No. To me, it sounded like a synthetic voice. Yeah, it sounds automated, doesn't it? Yeah. The punchline is also just very, very good. Yeah. We actually spoke to Guy um, during one of the Encounters Q&As which uh, you can find if you're pass holder. I'm not sure if they have plans to do anything with the Q&As after the festival. It would be nice if there was some, maybe some kind of edit down or something, but he had some really interesting things to say about where the ideas come from and uh, his visual style and stuff like that. So uh, eventually I'm sure it'll go online. So keep your eyes open for that one, Nox Insomnia. Uh, It's worth mentioning, I'm not sure if we've mentioned it on this podcast yet, uh, but it's been doing the rounds for a few months as Andrea Sacchetti's latest film, Al Totting, which is in a very loose way about a young man. Well, it's essentially Andreas. It's, it's his kind of personal reflections on his love for the Virgin Mary, which at times in the film is almost depicted as a kind of lustful, uh, yeah, mm. like the way that she's kind, she almost sort of is coquettishly inviting him to worship her or you know he develops he's sort of besotted with the notion of her but at at that age where the feelings that we have about things or people or concepts are kind of mushed up together yeah when all the different types of love are kind of conflicting and confusing yeah because um, to that point you've only really loved your like pets and your parents yeah so not about really sort of sexual love but in a kind of the sort of way i guess religion informs the love we feel, um, and he ultimately, I think, rejects religion, and with it, you know, the, that figure's power over him. Uh, but there's a quite extensive interview with him on Squiggly, if you go through the interviews archive. And Jason Cady, of course, we actually had on this podcast uh, a couple of years ago, talking about an older film of his called uh, Ring of Fire, mm. uh, which is a more sort of overtly sexual film it's about sort of sexual conquests and yeah he had some interesting anecdotes around that mm. that one i think will also be at manchester in a couple of months yeah so. it's gonna be everywhere yeah. it's a very visually striking film yeah. this is an interesting one it's more of a kind of documentary film and it's by a friend of ours called emma lazenby who people might know that name she won a bafta about eight nine years ago for a film about midwifery called mother of many and she's been making largely sort of medical-oriented films uh, since then, but she had done work on TV shows and stuff. She was working with Arthur Cox around the time she won the BAFTA, and she was also the producer on your film, Mm -hmm. Gift. Her latest film, or certainly the film that was playing at Encounters, is called For Baby's Sake, 
uh, and it's named after a charity. I think it's a charity. It's an organization called For Baby's Sake. And they're set up to guide couples through the really, you know, very, very hard process of moving beyond domestic abuse. And it's a conflicting subject. Like, I, you know, we again, we talked to Emma during the Encounters Q&As, and it's an initiative she's very, very passionate about. The idea behind it is to keep couples together, but to absolutely eliminate any element of abuse or disharmony or violence that the baby might be exposed to because the first couple years of a baby's life are going to be absolutely crucial as far as what they see around them, how they absorb the way people behave has a very sort of crucial role to play in, I guess, their cognitive development and how they comport themselves as they get older. Mm. The short version is if a kid sees, you know, people hitting other people, you know, that's bad. Yeah. Pretty obvious. I think what a, quite a crucial step you're missing is the fact that they the idea is also that it's not just about the parents in the situation at the time it's the fact that they've also come from families and legacies of families that have had this be an issue so the mm. in this particular situation the uh, father came from an uh, abusive father who was an alcoholic and the mother came from a family whose father was abusive to her mother so it's not just about dealing with a, f- a family that is currently going through some possibly just mild form of domestic abuse. No form of domestic abuse is really mild, but yeah. but it's breaking that chain and it's, that, it's the chain of it that they're, I guess, more... It seems they're more interested in. Yeah. Obviously, they don't want to put kids into families or allow kids to stay in families that are abusive, but it's about, you know, if you were an angry person and all of that anger comes from your childhood and abuse and the way you've been treated throughout your life, you have a higher chance of becoming an abusive and angry person. But it's giving these people the the opportunity to go, yeah, I don't want to do that. And I don't want I don't want to do that to my child and I don't want to continue that down my family legacy. Yeah. So it's more about that. Sort of breaking the pattern. And yeah. Like, I, I mean, if the guy was a piece of shit and wasn't going to learn and was just like, I don't see there's anything wrong. My dad did it to me. That's perfectly reasonable. Like, yeah. I feel yeah. like they probably would be like, maybe not you then. No, you could tell this was someone who was a sensitive person, felt remorse. I mean, you know, that's the other thing is abusers can oh, fake remorse very authentically and... I, I, I think that the organization is savvy enough to kind of be able to work with people who are genuinely sincere. Yeah, and- I think the thing that was interesting that came out of the Q&A you did with Emma afterwards is that it's not, they're not just there during the pregnancy. They're there for, I think it was like two years yeah. after the birth as well. So they also give them all the tools to look, be able to raise and look after a child and feed it properly and make sure it's warm and clothed and everything and loved. But they don't then just go, Bye! Yeah. Which is kind of what can, I think, happen with, you know, it really depends where in the country you are and how overly stretched they are. But that can kind of happen a bit with social workers because obviously you have social workers that come and check on you like two or three times once you're born. Yeah. But then they fuck off because they have, you know, God knows how many other babies to check in on. But if you're not like gaining weight... Or whatever they'll flag it, but really they're massively overstretched. So it's kind of like a secondary, more long-standing version of that care. Yeah, 
and very, very nicely realized by Amazon Animation. And I think that her style really, really kind of lends itself well to factual animation. It has a softness to it that sort of reduces the clinicalness that I think another company or another animator might choose to deal with something quite... Because maybe not so much with this film, but she does like other films to explain... Anesthesia. Yeah, and stuff like that to children and stuff, and it sort of normalises it, and it's still quite clinical in terms of colour palette and stuff, because she is still talking and working within a hospital. Yeah. But because her characters kind of have this roundness to them and they feel texturally like they could be from cut out or something, it sort of makes it more tender. Yeah. Here's another one to check out. I think that one is also online as part of, I think on the organization's website, they kind of have it. Oh, yeah. Oh, there was also uh, Symbiosis, but I think we're going to circle around to that one. We'll come back to Symbiosis. Yeah. Really, really nice film that we've also recently put up an interview uh, with where you talked to uh, Will Anderson. And, uh, yeah, if you go to the interview section, yeah, there's a really nice, actually quite touching interview about this film. And it goes to some emotional places that we don't often go to on Swiggly because usually people don't necessarily have that kind of emotion plugged into their filmmaking process. But this is a film, as with... Uh, many of his films it's called betty and it's a film about a breakup or a relationship and how it ends and the sort of aftermath of it but in his sort of style it becomes a very meta affair where he as the director it starts off like a director's commentary but then it's almost like a kind of making of as it goes, like scenes will stop and start, and he'll talk a little bit about ostensibly banal areas of production, like how he's rigged the characters and how he's laid out the shots and stuff. And uh, it's a real emotional kind of back and forth, and he's quite wily. <laughs> he has these moments that are funny, but they kind of really hook you in and use a lot of the conventions of filmmaking to imbue a shot with like really, really sincere emotion. And the character design is very sparse and sort of glitchy. And they're kind of like birds, but as he points out, like they may as well be clowns for how like realistic they look. But then, you know, there'll be a sequence, like a montage sequence with this beautiful music in the background. And just as you're kind of getting emotionally connected to it, then the music stops. And he's like, shout out to the composer kind of thing. And those little sort of meta moments that are kind of sprinkled throughout. And it was sort of preceded by what seemed like more of a kind of standalone skit. Uh, but in the context of the film, you know, it makes more sense. But the skit, which I think is online, is called Where's the Butter Betty? And it's one of these birds sort of looking around trying to find a knob of butter that has been moved. And it keeps disappearing um, whenever he thinks he's found it. And it kind of loops. And that, you know, on its own is very funny. It's also, It's funny in the film as well. But it's framed a little differently. Mm. And then, you know, it's, there's a sort of reprise of that scene, which is genuinely a bit sad. For all of his, like, interventions, there are still moments that are genuinely, like, you know, they feel sincere and they feel quite touching. And it is essentially, he's he's been quite open about it. It's about an actual breakup and working through that. And what it really conjures up are the sort of memories of when a relationship goes south and there are these moments when you're just absolutely mired in self-pity. And then there are these moments that can be quite sudden where you're just like, oh, fucking snap out of it. And then 
you're not then fixed forever. Like the next day you might have another sad moment or it might be like a long, long process. It does depend from relationship to relationship, but it really, I thought successfully kind of captures that emotional ambivalence. You can be quite logical about things and you can be self-effacing. And then sometimes the self-effacement will turn into like darker sort of self-pity that you know, starts to take itself too seriously. And then you pull yourself out of that again. So it, it's, you know, using very, very sort of minimal visuals, I think it achieves that really well. I really like the film. Um, obviously, I like you said, I interviewed him. I interviewed him first, <laughs> <laughs> and that was a weird. That was a weird interview. It was a very good interview, and Will is very, very open and very. He's a great interview. It was also the first interview I think he'd done about the film, and the film hadn't really gone anywhere yet because it had only just finished really and so he didn't really know how to talk about it either and it's a film that's quite hard for him to express what it really is about like you can say it's about a relationship breaking down but it's far more complex than that as most of his films are like they are about a thing but they're also about a lot bigger things so like all of his films have a lot of layers to them and i think it comes up in the interview but how he has like this trifecta of films now because he has longbird heart and and now this and in each one they are all kind of meta because obviously Longbird was a documentary in which he is a filmmaker attempting to make a documentary about this like assholey bird character and then Get Heart is about a gif essentially who is stuck in a dead end job and being sort of self reflective and then this is about birds again he has a thing about birds and a breakup and he like you say he's, he's kind of beyond being part of a faux documentary he is both in the film the film is about him the title of the character is actually the girl that we barely see in the film yeah and i was sort of saying how the films as they go it's like in the first film it was like the character was bullying him when he was a student in the second film it's like he's bullying the character to sort of get his own back (laughs) and then this one he's sort of gone beyond both of those things and he he's no longer having to be a bully he's 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 also kind of bullying himself in this one so where he had to sort of like separate those two elements out now he is both both so it's kind of like watching someone slowly lose their mind (laughs) over a series of films i think most animators filmographies if you watch them chronologically you can see the he's perfectly sound of mind he's clearly happy and doing well but you know what i mean like if you if you just watch the films having you know not giving it any context other than like maybe some select bits of interview where you sort of piece it all together you're like oh i hope he's okay like well that is a thing that i think comes through really well with this film is there are you know, lengthy stretches of time where you're not really okay. You're just kind of holding it together. Mm. And my attitude when it's come to that has been a sort of, you know, success is the best revenge, knuckle down, focus your energies on work. You know, at least then when you come out of the other side, you'll have gotten stuff done. You won't have lost the time. And I, I don't think that's for everyone. I certainly would feel perhaps because of a lack of confidence in how I'd be able to pull it off. I'm not sure I'd be able to lay out like a dark sort of hole I'd fallen into 
Some people are very good at that, like Signa Bauman with Rocks in My Pockets and uh, Nina Paley, who made like a whole feature length film, similarly kind of off the back of a very significant breakup in her life. And I, I personally, you know, I don't think I'm, I'm there yet in terms of technical proficiency that I'd feel I'd be able to kind of do the emotions justice, you know? Mm. I think also with this film, it's it's the ambiguity of the kind of relationship when a relationship breaks down because neither one of you are really feeling it anymore or it, something's happened, but it seemed like it was more of a mutual thing. And that's quite tricky to then emotionally put in a box. Yeah. Like if someone breaks up with you, that's quite easy to be like, oh, what an asshole. And you can mope and moan around a bit, you know. Or if you're the person that broke up with them, it's normally because you've got something else going on or like you're just like you're a fucking nutter um (laughs) i don't want to be with you and this seemed more like it it feels like something that happens as you get older like we've had a few friends that have like broken up amicably but i don't know how you'd emotionally put that to bed yeah like i don't think i'm really friends with any of my exes like i don't hate them or anything but we're not like hanging out yeah, I used to, f- when I was a bit younger, it used to be sort of important to me to kind of stay on good terms. And then I sort of realized that that isn't that necessary, you know? Like, mm. you can just, you can end things amicably and you don't have to then be best mates. No, if you liked um, hanging out, you probably would have stayed together, wouldn't you? Yeah, or, you know, I mean, occasionally. I mean, I, I'm friends with a couple of exes, but for the most part, the issue was that you run out of things to say to each other. Mm. And if you don't have the kinds of things in common that friends do, you're just two people being polite to each other. And that can be very boring. So yeah, I, I kind of, there was like, I would be confused. I remember because, you know, one relationship would end horribly, but we'd actually end up being okay. And we'd hang out sometimes and be friendly. And then another relationship would end on very good terms and I'd never see them again. Or I'd bump into them and they kind of would sort of like blank me because there just wasn't anything to say. But yeah, it's a lovely, lovely film. It's called Betty. It's also, you know, it's funny. It's it's when it isn't condemning itself for being sweet and emotional. It's quite sweet and emotional. Yeah. So yeah, there were some uh, encounters, highlights. So if you do have a pass, you know, check them out. I mean, check all this stuff out if you can. It's been nice to be part of encounters, you know, even oh, though. nice, isn't it? Yeah. Even though it's a slightly different uh, beast this year. Sort of following on from Betty and how it's sort of about the end of a relationship, there was this film that you kind of put me on to not that long ago, maybe like a month or so ago, on uh, the BBC called uh, Leaf Boat. And it was produced by uh, the company that produced Lauren's film, Winding Snake, uh, Lauren's film Creepypasta Salad, which came out online a couple of months ago and has been doing very well. I'm very pleased to see. Lauren, you can hear on an episode of the regular Squiggly podcast from about a year ago now. So this is a film made for an initiative called Beacons, which showcases emerging writing and directing talent funded by Film Kimru BFI Network and BBC Kimru Wales, for what it's worth. And this was a film I'd thought I'd seen and had been looking forward to seeing because I'd seen some like production visuals and stuff on the director's Instagram, and I must have seen a trailer because what I saw was a very short sequence in it. Mm. Um, but I more recently saw the whole thing. It's quite long. It's like seven-something minutes. Seven yeah, it's minutes. decent. And it's going to be on BBC iPlayer, much like your film, for mm-hmm. uh, another year or so. 
So that's good. And it's nice that they keep him on for more than a month. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's a good initiative. Uh, I think this is also playing at the Cardiff Animation Festival, which has shuffled its dates to um, the end of October, which is nice because I think they were thinking of just putting it off until next year rather than going digital. And at the end of the day, I think going digital is the better move to kind of get it done. It would get very complicated because then you would have to like, you wouldn't be able to include sun films and you'd have to like, yeah, it'd be messy. And I think it's also maybe playing at Manchester afterwards. But yeah, it's on BBC iPlayer. And so this is a film about a beginning of a relationship. It has really beautiful music in it as well. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, like, the standard of the music was really high. And she's quite a young filmmaker. She's only really just started. And she's done quite a lot, actually. And she's just done a new creative, always in the middle of doing a new creative, so I'm not quite sure. Right. Because until a new creative is on the BBC somewhere, it's hard to know, like, where they are in production without being like, where are you in production? But she's also ex-UE and... Well, I remember her Yui film was quite strong. Mm. So it's nice to see that, you know, there's been some tenacity in getting more projects off the ground. And yeah, based in Wales. It's kind of nice, actually, that it is it is a Welsh-speaking film. Mm. It's sort of one of those things that hadn't occurred to me, that it's not something you see very often. No, I mean, she's very good at very... She has a lot of things that she is very, very passionate about. And she's very proudly Welsh. And obviously this was a, a film commissioned by the Welsh BBC, so presumably they wanted it in Welsh as well. Yeah. Uh, her name is Aoife Blossy Mason, which I don't think we mentioned yet. So, someone to look up. Has a really nice colour scheme, really nice sort of line style. You know how we were talking, this was off mic, but we've been watching other festivals and stuff, and we were watching uh, short horror films and live-action shorts, and something that comes across with live-action shorts more than animation shorts is that they seem more like proofs of concept than their own standalone mm. entity yeah, yeah. whereas animation shorts by and large have a beginning pre- middle and an end yeah they're pretty self-contained mm. occasionally they'll be expanded it's because it's so i think it's because it's so rare for us to get something longer form yeah and even if we do they do still want that one normally you make it so that that one that film is like an episode of something so it still needs to have a beginning middle and an end yeah i think animation benefits from the fact that we can show a lot more in a single frame than live action can so where live action have to spend like 20 seconds showing you a fire to establish it's a fire where we go look a fire now we're moving on you know so it's it's a medium problem sometimes as well but for this film, I, I almost got a vibe that it could, it had a sort of potential to be expanded into something sort of longer form. And I think maybe that came through in that some of the shots stood out a bit more and some of the character work in particular was really, really nicely done in a way that, you know, it sort of indicated, oh, if this had like, if this had a sort of bigger funding and a bigger studio kind of behind it, it could really be pushed into like almost cartoon saloon territory. Mm. I think as I approach the character design, she has quite an unusual but very pleasing aesthetic to her work. Like sure. everything, like the eye style of the two characters are very different, but they work together and mm. she has a really nice sense of colour and palette. It kind of reminds me of folk art, like Celtic art. And, and yeah, that's why yeah, it reminds yeah, yeah. you a bit of like you know, Secret of Kells and that kind of stuff. It's Everything has a symmetry to it, but I wouldn't... It's this, a wonky symmetry, in, as you would find in something like Secret of Kells. Yeah. But yeah, like I say, it's a film about the beginning of a relationship and the sort of 
fears around that, like when things are kind of, you know, they're off to a good start, but there are, I guess, sort of concerns about putting a foot wrong. You just don't want to blow it, I guess. So that was another one that is kind of more recently on our minds. So yeah, check it out on BBC iPlayer or if you are going to be checking out Cardiff Animation later on. So going back to the Encounters selection and a film that's actually been doing the rounds quite a bit. It's called Symbiosis by Nadia Andrasov. And in fact, it just won another award. It's won a few. It won the Zlatko Gurdjik Award for Best First Film at the Anima Fest Zagreb Festival, which is taking place around the same time as Encounters and Ottawa. It usually is earlier in the year, but they uh, they pushed it back. It's normally close to Annecy, isn't it? Yeah, it's usually like the week before Annecy. So yeah, it's three major events that are happening at the same time. The Grand Prix winner, interestingly enough, was Just a Guy, uh, which is directed by Shokuhara, and we talked about that, I think, in the last episode of this podcast. Mm. It's the film about Richard Ramirez and his uh, admirers. And uh, there's a quite extensive interview you did with Shikahara up on Squiggly, isn't there? Yeah, it was a good day. <laughs> you got on with her. Yeah. I mean, I was always, unless they were going to be like really like officious, I was always going to get on with someone that made a, uh, an animated documentary about sex and Richard Ramirez. <laughs> I was like, be my friend. <laughs> had some pretty good insights into the filmmaking process. I believe she uh, she was the one who had the semen recipe. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that part of the interview, or did she just put that up? That was on just the- on, that's on her Instagram. Yeah. You can see it now. If there you want to make some fake semen, ready for Halloween. <laughs> that was a scary Halloween. Baboo glob. <laughs> oh no, I've been slimed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm nearly 37 years old. So, um, oh, I also see that uh, Betty, which we were just talking about, got a special mention. Well done, Will. We had no affiliation with this festival, but they uh, picked not this all year, our favourites. You know, hey, it's a good event. I, you know, you haven't been yet, I don't think. No, but, uh, I want to go and have a giant lamb on a hill. <laughs> <I'll>, <laughs> That's my... <laughs> I missed the lamb on the hill. It was a nice day. That's my... Uh, my Memory by proxy. (laughs) So yeah, Symbiosis uh, is a film about a woman who starts to suspect that her husband is, you know, playing away. Mm. So she does a bit of sleuthing and realizes that her suspicions are, I think, more or less confirmed. Yeah. But But then it kind of, a side effect of that is that her sort of interest in alternative lifestyles and stuff has kind of peaked a bit. Mm. She becomes more interested in the... Other women. Yeah. And just the kind of, like, the meetups and the hangouts and things like that. And there's a mix of, you know, fairly easy-to-follow literal visuals, and then there's some quite interesting sort of metaphorical visuals as well. This is, unless I'm confusing it, this is the film with the sushi. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Vagina sushi. Lots of, uh, like, animal metaphors as well. And Yeah. She was another very nice interview. Yes. Well, we're going to find that out for ourselves as she is on this very episode of the podcast to mark her recent award win and uh, just a rather splendid film all, all around. Mm. Uh, anything else by way of introductory notes or shall we let her lead the way? No, I think we kind of cover that in the interview. Super. Okay, well, yeah, you can see Symbiosis as part of the Encounters lineup and it is still doing the rounds, uh, so you'll be able to catch it in some way or other, I am sure. 
But uh, in the meantime, let's hear from Nadja Andrasev. You used to work in live action. How did that come about and why the change to animation? I actually originally was interested more in animation, but in 2001, yes, sorry, I lived in the US for seven years. And after that, I came back home to Budapest. And in 2001, uh, I accidentally found an animation job for six months working with uh, Ferenc Rofus, um, famous Hungarian uh, animation director. And uh, and it was exactly the time when all the studios closed down for some reason. There was a big change in the animation scene in Hungary. And everybody was telling me that it would be really difficult to get a job after it. So after that six months, I stopped doing animation. And uh, yeah, sorry about the noises. My, okay. I have cats, so sorry. <laughs> So after, after that six months, I, um, I was offered a live action producer assistant or director's assistant job and I took it. And that was in 2002 and I got stuck in the live action industry because it was really exciting and there was no animation job for me at the time. So I was just working all the time as an AD and it really sucks you in. It's very difficult to get out of it because there is no time to work on your own projects. And finally, after I was 31, I, re I decided to just try once to apply to, to MoMA in, in Budapest. And I didn't have a, any kind of drawing background. I didn't take classes. So it was kind of, it was a really long shot and I applied and I got in. So. It really changed my life because I figured that uh, having a job and at, and going home at night exhausted or on the weekend, it's really difficult to do anything. So I needed to take time off and not earn any money and struggle for five, six years and and uh, and have to do it, you know, because in school you have to do it. There's no no excuses like you don't say, OK, I'm going to take this job and maybe later I will do something. So I'm I'm happy about that. How did you, uh, MoMA's obviously creates a lot of very talented students and work, and how did you find the institution as a whole? I think MoMA is really great um, be, uh, for animation. Uh, I don't know about the other departments, but for animation it's really amazing because they, we have a community there. Like uh, My friends are mostly those animation directors that you probably know from MoMA. And, uh, and we help each other out and our, our professors are, we're also really flexible with, uh, like if we, not, maybe not in the BA, because the BA is more technical, but in the master's program, you, if you decide to do something in a specific way or in a different way, nobody's going to say, that's really not what we are looking for. So. So it's really encouraging us to do what we would like. And, and also, uh, there are some cool programs where we can go abroad, uh, like the ASF, Animation Sans Frontier. It's a French, Danish, German, Hungarian uh, mm. partnership. And we spent two weeks at each place. And actually, um, my film Symbiosis was a product of that because uh, I, not a product, but... Um, but I did work on it during that time. That was my project that I was pitching at the end. And at that pitch in Paris, uh, 
I already had my Hungarian producers, but at the, at that pitch in Paris, I found Miu Production, uh, my French production company. They saw the pitch and they were interested. So, you know, I don't know what would have happened without this. <laughs> so it's really, really cool, I think, moment in this regard. So your uh, your style is very organic and uses elements of like collage as well as various drawing materials, and your work is uh, is very illustrative, mm-hmm. um, and so it's quite engaging, and it has a like a very strong presence. Uh, how have you developed that style, and what influence have you drawn from for this? Uh, I think the collage part maybe comes from the fact that I didn't really learn how to draw and <laughs> during MoMA at the beginning I I did use a lot of collages for textures and I was more comfortable doing that and um, and I liked doing it and also I made I, I was working on some stop-motion films for two of my school projects so actually I'm I'm not really good at animating 2D I animated three uh, stop-motion though and uh, so I didn't get enough practice in a 2D animation as an animator. Mm-hmm. But, um, but since we worked on, on some stop motion films, especially with one of my classmates, Milan Kopas, who is really, really creative and very um, experimental with his stop motion work. Uh, that's why I, for example, in this last film, Symbiosis, that's why I decided to use this mixed, mixed technique because uh, I think the story really, uh, really was good for it because it's kind of like a collage and a collection of things in a woman's life. And I figured it's best to, it's it's the best time for me to experiment with the mixed media because I really, while I was doing while I was doing stop motion films, I was always hoping to get into the to the like the paint uh, painted backgrounds and and to the animation. Um, and that's why I, I made my graduation film, The Noise of Licking, in that style. So um, so I really, that's that's more my, my, uh, my, I don't even know how to say it. My ideal style is like a 2D painted, drawn, uh, drawn Im- image, images. And also, sorry, and, and um, since I was in live action, I think this is, maybe it's a little bit of a setback, but uh, when I imagine a scene, a lot of times I think with a live action mindset mm. more, more than my classmates, because I think a lot of my classmates do a lot of morphing techniques and and really clever animation uh, uh, camera views. But for me, I it's kind of like live action. You think more in terms of like edited cuts rather than... Yeah. Yes. Hmm. So maybe that also adds to this illustrative style that um, it's kind of just like close-ups and um, you know, and wide shots and things like that. And what, uh, because of this, what kind of software are you using to create this? I'm using for the animation TV Paint and for the. For just planning everything and for the backgrounds, it's for it's Photoshop. Okay. Yeah. So that I don't I don't do hand painted stuff, but the, in Photoshop you can do all that. So. Mm. So that's why I guess as well it has that more illustrative style because you're using more illustrative software as well. Yes, probably. 
Um, so the film was uh, premiered at Annecy. What was that like? <laughs> it was really amazing. Um, I honestly was the first festival I've ever been to. Oh wow! Uh, before I had I had any films, and I was there as a student, and it was really amazing. And I my big dream was to go there someday with a film. So I've been there twice with. I was there with my graduation film as well and with Symbiosis as well. So it was really amazing to premiere it in front of so many people in a huge, really a huge room. And, you know, you you stand up and uh, they all look at you, which is really, really, really um, scary also because this was the first time anybody's, I mean, an audience saw the film. So I was really worried and I was like hiding behind people while the film was, playing I couldn't look at the screen so that's how it was it was nice I think that's a a common <laughs> trait of a of yeah. a filmmaker especially at its first screening you're not sure how it's going to go down <laughs> yes exactly so Simbaros is as a in terms of its story follows a wife uncovering her husband's various affairs and becoming curious about the women she follows and then the film so the film clearly has like a range of ideas and themes happening simultaneously but what do you think is like the main theme of the film yes this is also a little bit uh, complicated for me the main theme because on one hand um for okay so the main theme for me is how somebody can become so obsessed about something that they spiral into a state when they forget about their original motives and uh, and feelings and they they start to control the situation in a completely different way because through this obsession but it's also about towards the end of the film it's for me it's also about female solidarity okay which i hope some people understand in the if not that's a problem (laughs) um on that i i i really like your female characters both in this film and uh, your previous film um because i like how they're quite emotionally complex and deal with issues that arise in their life in unique ways and it's pleasing to see them handle themselves in a more interesting way Mm -hmm. rather than just doing what you'd think Mm -hmm. they their reaction were even if that's their original motive they you know they change as as we do um how do you go about constructing your character's personality is it very like laboriously thought out beforehand or does it organically shift as the film goes it it depends i think on the on where the story came from because my graduation film the noise of licking was um based on a short story it's it uh, it differs so i changed the character as well um, I wanted to make her a little bit different from the story, but um, but I think I had a pretty good idea of how she would be. And uh, in Symbiosis, the main character, in some ways, is like me. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit autobiographical, but not exactly, of course. But, uh, but I really, really love it when, um, when a film shapes in the production. Not, of course... You can't say this uh, to producers so much, but uh, but uh, as as I'm making the uh, for both films, as I was making them, so many things happened to me that 
gave me a good idea how to deal with a certain scene and it's not necessarily that I changed the story or I changed anything in production uh, like budget wise mm. but that uh, I, I got answers in my own life that helped me shape the characters and helped me shape some of the scenes and what would happen in them and especially in symbiosis since there are other characters in the story it for me it took a, a really long time to make the final decisions about which women should be in which scene and uh, and actually my my phones were full of pictures of uh, strangers because uh, I started photographing women on the street and on the subway and on the buses and there are there are some people I hope they will never find out, but there are some people that I have maybe a hundred, hundred photographs wow. still in my phone because they were just so interesting and so many different characters. Mm. Like I saw many different characters and they all inspired me a lot. So it was, that was the most difficult. The main character I knew kind of how I wanted her to be, but those characters were very, really interesting to put together. It's a bit like that game. Um, I don't know if, you have this as well but like where you go and watch people watch and you make up their imaginary lives what you imagine their lives are like from um how they appear on the surface yes exactly and i mean this is what this is what the main character does as well because and anybody who is in this situation you know sometimes you only know two words about a person and you keep imagining that and it comes to life somehow and you don't really know how they live so the end of my film is about that how you if you look closer or if you start observing better you will see some nuances and and that not everything is so cliche as you as you imagine and that everybody has their own problems and their own loneliness and and so I think it's interesting for the characters to to have this change to imagine other people and maybe guess wrong. <laughs> uh, something I there's like a reoccurring motif uh, motif sorry in the film of um, of animals which seem to sometimes represent the main character's feelings of entrapment or symbiotic behavior and other times seem to represent the women she is following. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about? these connections yes um this is also this is first of all it's coming from the fact that i love animals and i have these strange encounters with them sometimes that uh, i notice them more and i i figured that in the film she our main character is kind of lonely even though she's in a relationship and so she also has this connection with animals that some maybe sometimes it's um, it's um, how do you say it? Sorry, when it's not it's not necessarily always uh, positive immediately. So it's amb ambiguous because maybe there are some pests in her home or a mosquito landing on her hand and sucking her blood. But even that she no she notices these and uh, she can relate to it somehow. And it's also I wanted to show that a lot of times in a situation like this, maybe other, like like here, like in the zoo, the animals also notice the guy. So mm -hmm. I want animals to be kind of feminine and have this sort of 
um, like looking at the man as well. So being partially being her competition as well and and representing other women, but also the animals, especially the the felines, see her. So so in the film, a couple of times there are these moments when somebody sees her finally, and uh, and one of these is the the zoo scene with the felines when they look, they have a look with each other. But also at the end of the film, it's the same. It's very important that she's looking at other women and they also see her like they they can see her as well and it's important that she's not unnoticeable sort of acknowledging each other's existence yes. uh so the title of the film Symbi- symbiosis means uh two or more organisms who live in close physical association who um often all have benefits from the arrangement do you feel that reflects or represents the idea of like what relationships are nowadays in the 21st century and this is a difficult question um well i think that actually yes now that you say this (laughs) i think this is a good description um of this and of course that my my title symbiosis actually for a while i was trying to change it i wasn't i didn't like it mm. and i i didn't find a really good one and i kept it but uh, but the man and the woman in this film have this weak sort of symbiotic like they are two weak people in symbiosis mm. and also the i felt that the woman the, the wife and the mistresses have some kind of strange, it might not be always beneficial. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying that it's a real symbiosis. It's, um, it's just some kind of connection that they have with each other. So I think for, for generally in, uh, in, for couples, yes, I think symbiosis is, <laughs> is a good description of how some people or most people live. Mm. Um, I saw in uh, a Q&A that you gave a while ago um, that you wrote your thesis when you were at MoMA on animated sex scenes. Um, I'd be really interested in reading that if that's something you'd be able to share. Uh, but sexuality and relationships are common themes in your work and it's also in your previous film, The Noise of Licking, uh, also deals with these film- themes of like eroticism and foyerism and jealousy. Uh, what is it about that subject matter and these themes that intrigues you? I um, maybe I, I'm not saying I will always put sexual scenes in my films, but but I like to, I like if the story needs it, I'm really happy to include it in the film. But the in for the noise of licking, it was. Um, it was just my imagination running wild with the original story because it just involved a woman watering her plants and a, and a man, a total stranger, uh, standing in her living room just watching her doing it. And she heard the noises of the licking of the ice cream, but she didn't turn around immediately. And I thought that was really perverted and sexual in some way even though the story itself is not uh, sexual but for me it was mm-hmm. very much so so I, I i just went off of that completely and for uh, for symbiosis i really wanted to emphasize that even 
even though this woman is in a relationship, maybe it's that some some people who are in, in relationships have much, much less control of their sexual life or their, yes, of their, like their partner maybe don't, don't even see them naked most of the time because they have this strange uh, power play mm. and, uh, and it's always a compromise. Uh, a sexuality between two people can be a compromise after a while. And, um, and that I, I, want, I really wanted to show these awkward moments in a relationship when, when somebody would like to be with the other, but the other one is not interested and it's more of a nuisance. So, for example, there is a scene with the mirror when the main character is uh, looking at her own vagina and uh, her husband steps in and they don't normally see each other naked, so he's kind of embarrassed and then shuts the door. And this and the shower scene when she when uh, she steps in with him and they start to do something sexual, but it's not really because he wants to. I just thought that these were important to show mm-hmm. that this can happen as well. So I think in this film it's... Uh, it's of course it's about mistresses, so there is some sex in it, and it's not even. I wasn't so brave with the sex, sexual stuff. <laughs> it could have been much different, but I didn't feel the need to show like yeah. direct action. Why do you feel that subjects of like sexuality and sexual liberation are important subjects to tackle in film? I just think that. Um, some people might feel lonely in uh, having difficulties with these subjects in their own life. And this is important to talk about. And it's important to show uh, masturbation as well, I think. And um, and that maybe pleasure is not always coming from, uh, like if, if uh, you're in a heterosexual relationship, it's not always coming from your husband or your your boyfriend, but it can come from other other places as well and i just think that um i'm hoping to show that uh for example being single is not so bad a lot of time like not always so bad because sometimes you can be much more liberated in these things than in a relationship but of course i'm not saying that relationships are terrible just saying that it's important to show what what our needs and desires are and to have them acknowledged. Mm. I think it's very important for you to uh, take control of your own sexual gratification because I think the idea of putting all of the onus on your other partner or feeling like they're the ones that should be, like how can you possibly know what or get satisfaction from sex from someone else if you can't yourself because no one will know you better than yourself. And being in control, I think it's important. Yes, yes. To, to be in control of your life. <laughs> and how do you feel um, animation particularly helps portray these themes? Animation is it's strange in this subject because um, because there are so many different ways to show something. So it's always about your imagination. It's very free. And that's also sometimes the problem. And that was my problem that's why I took this uh, subject as my thesis paper at MoMA, because of 
the film The Noise of Licking, I, I left the sexual part to the end of the production because I, I wanted to make sure that that the erotic scenes are not too much or not too little and uh, and that if they use symbolism, they use the right symbolism or I just wanted to do some research in this topic and it's very interesting that uh, that some people have different opinions, of course, but it's interesting to see that uh, how minimal well, how minimal you can get in uh, in in showing sexuality and uh, and how symbolism is, is can be really interesting as well. And also sometimes the rotoscope technique or the too much like live action techniques are kind of like off putting people. Because of that, because animation is much freer, so why not use something more, more uh, as a product product of imagination? Mm. So it's just uh, I think it's a lot of decisions, <laughs> and that's always my question to myself: like how di- directly I I would like to show something, and and I didn't find so many films that where I found the sex scenes perf like perfect for my taste. Mm-hmm. I just think it's interesting. But yeah. <laughs> uh, Sim- Symbiosis is doing really well at festivals. How have you uh, found the response overall to the film so far? Um, so far, I nobody approached me with, uh, not nobody, but people don't approach, didn't approach me with uh, negative criticism, which is maybe just that they didn't want to, you know, <laughs> but um, but I'm I'm really really happy with the response that I've received so far, and I'm very happy that men and women both tend to like it. Or, you know, I I got positive comments from both, um, so I don't I don't know maybe I don't know if there is a tilt in this, but uh, I didn't want to make a film that only women would understand or only men would understand and uh, my main character is not female because uh, because I think men are terrible (laughs) I just think that um, I wanted to show this film from my perspective and uh, yeah I'm I'm really happy so far (laughs) great Um, and what's next for the film and and yourself you mentioned that you're working on a feature? Uh, yes, I'm working as a coordinator, so I'm, I'm working a production job right now on, on um, White Plastic Sky, and um, this will be really, really cool film. So this is going to take a while, it's going to be finished next year, It's because it's a feature. So during this time, I'm really hoping to, to start developing my next uh, film. I have a, I have a topic that I think it's also important and just trying to find uh, some time to really develop it, which is kind of difficult when, when you have a full-time job and you're kind of exhausted. But um, but I have to work on that for sure. So I'm just really hoping to, during this, ta- during this year, to have some creative time as well because uh, I... I'm kind of slow at making films, so I don't want my next film to be out in 10 years. I, I, I'm hoping to to make one in the near future. And for symbiosis, 
because of the quarantine and because of the virus, the, um, you know, it, it it was kind of like shut down in very suddenly. And it was a, an amazing luck that South by Southwest uh, had awards this year and that um, Symbiosis received an award because uh, otherwise, uh, because this was, it just made me satisfied to the point when I can say, okay, this film had a nice festival run. And even if, even if uh, COVID made it much shorter, I can still, I'm, I'm satisfied already. So whatever comes after this is going to be just a bonus for me. Um, but it's still going to some festivals now, like Palm Springs and uh, Indy Lisboa and things like that. So I don't know what's next after that. <laughs> Thank you to Nadja Andrasev and Encounters Festival goers can see her film Symbiosis as part of the official selection this year. And to keep up to speed with where it's headed next, there is a Facebook page, facebook.com slash film symbiosis. There you go. Wonderful stuff. And what else has been going on? Any sexy animation happenings? We did see uh, animation has kind of permeated the commercial zeitgeist in the sense that they're now using animation to advertise Viagra. Yeah, I don't feel like Viagra as a product was heavily advertised in England, really. I, I don't really yeah. remember any... I feel like... Yeah, I don't feel like I've ever seen a Viagra advert before this one. Maybe it's just because we've never seen an animated one and all the other adverts we just kind of tune out anyway. Maybe. But yeah, there is a commercial that's been, I guess, doing the round since the summer. I, we've only just sort of noticed it recently. And what sort of strikes you about it is it's uh, pretty high production values for a TV commercial. Like, often when you see animation advertising, you know, a product or a cream, mm. it's often for an ointment of some kind of intimate, you know, yeah, rash or condition. it's normally quite clinical... And then if it does have any character, it definitely doesn't emote anything. It's like, I'm itchy. <laughs> yeah, basically. Good. Does, you know, does the job, essentially. But no, this is like, you know, quite considered character work. And a lot of work and effort has gone into the lighting and the overall sort of textural quality. It's it's CG with a sort of painterly overlay feel to it, in a way. Some of the stills here look almost like digital paintings rather than CG renderings. And it was produced by our good pals at Blink Inc., who have an amazing talent roster. In this case, it was drawing upon the skills of Zombie Studio, who I believe are based in Sao Paulo. Uh, yes, Sao Paulo Animation House Zombie, and directed by Paulo Garcia. I mean, there isn't an enormous amount to say about it other than it's sort of interesting to see. I think for so many years, Viagra was kind of synonymous with, oh, yeah. You know, the kind of, what is it, what it implies. Dirty old men. And um, I think the sort of stigma around that is, it's not necessarily gone away, but people are sort of, I don't know, I think the joke kind of ran its course. Mm. The underlying issue that remains is that it isn't something that just hits old guys in retirement homes. It's something that happens to younger people. Um, and there's quite a nice connection about, because it's a, a, you know, a younger side of middle-aged couple. Um, and it sort of shows that it's it can be brought on by a multitude of facets, you know, technology in terms of never being able to really turn off and having more stresses as well as mm. it being a medical thing. 
and the impact that not being able to be intimate with one another has on a relationship something that can seem quite trivial and feels like something you should be able to work through it is a big part of what makes a relationship flow it highlights a couple of things one is the sort of despair and embarrassment on you know the part of the guy and the other is the sort of sense of what am i doing wrong on the Mm. other party and i do think it's i mean if you take out the fact that it's obviously advertising a product if this was just a standalone film on itself it would be kind of interesting to see a film like this from the female's point of view because there's more than enough things that happen to women in their lives that make sex with their partner a no longer enjoyable thing not because they don't want to but because physically it's uncomfortable or unpleasant the mechanics of a male unable to perform is kind of harder to fake than yeah you can't really discomfort or yeah. pain you can't like fashion a splint and like you know make do is that thing of what animation is very good at which is opening a dialogue and i feel like if you were a couple who were struggling and you were at home and this advert came on you'd maybe feel a bit more comfortable seeing this and maybe going like maybe we should try that just because you know we've not been doing so well yeah i feel like in the past the advertising campaign for like viagra was more like this pill will solve all your problems and probably with a more sort of light touch of, you know, probably like, sort of visual metaphors of, you know, I don't know, fireworks going off trees. Yeah, it, was, it seemed more, it wasn't about, like, returning to normal. It was like, you'll have the best sex you've ever had. Like, when yeah. you have, like, condom adverts, they're like, they're flavours! Like, my vagina doesn't care if it tastes like <laughs> banana. <laughs> Which I really, I understand is not the point, but it's, it's kind of like, whoop-de-doo. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think anyone's really kind of spinning cartwheels like, ooh, cappuccino flavoured, wonderful. It's horrible. Tikka masala. <laughs> so, so I feel like this has sort of given it the, the, the light of it. It's a, you know, it's a medical option to help with things, but it's not about, like, they're not then going off and having mental sex. Yeah. It's a far more comfortable, vanilla approach to it of, like, just get back to actually, you know, having some intimacy, not like... You're going to, what is it that Jay says in, like, Big Mama, shoot rope. <laughs> You'll be going for days. Like, that sounds nightmarish. <laughs> like, the way Viagra was sort of, like, always sort of shown in shows and stuff was, like, something had gone awry, and so they had a stiffy for, like, four days. Oh, yeah. Because they'd OD'd on Viagra. Yeah, well, you know, there's it's sort of the apocryphal variant, as everyone kind of knows someone who just took some Viagra, who, quote-unquote, didn't need a... And then the result was, you know, something they couldn't get rid of. Yeah. On the Blinking website, here's the screed. So Zombie Studio teamed up with VMLY and R to create this wonderful heartfelt story for Viagra Connect using a unique mix of 2D and 3D animation. The film aims to turn a stigmatized issue long associated with the perceived lack of masculinity to a health issue. As always with zombie storytelling and narrative is at the heart of the film. It definitely, we were just watching it back as we were talking about it, and visually it does seem to be laying a lot of the blame on technology. And mm. I wonder if that's sort of... It's probably a very current problem. It's like at odds with the idea that like lots of people used to just have sex out of boredom, and now there's literally you can do anything from anywhere you are at all times. And there's sure. a certain fatigue that comes with constant 
technology drain and i think it's got more to do with the fact that everyone can email you at any time of the day and you are expect like now the idea of being able to use the excuse oh sorry i didn't see my email yeah you kind of feel like it's an excuse yeah when i was researching for speed and the research process for that was looking up sort of complaints about things that people say and the ways people behave in relationships or on dates to sort of write a kind of monologue. And one of the things that came up quite a lot on like relationship advice, things like Reddit and stuff was women in despair because their boyfriends or husbands weren't sleeping with them. I mean, they were sleeping with them, but they were having sex with them, but they would be watching porn on their phones all the time. And so the difference like, why, like he, he obviously has a sex drive, but why isn't real sex preferable? And it seemed to indicate that there was some shift in, I don't know, just the way people are with sex or certain types of men where they, it becomes more comfortable sex via technology rather than like, hey, there's an actual live action woman. Because now all they the- don't have to deal with any of the cleanup. <laughs> so that I think could, you know, porn addiction is probably, could be something are where. Are masturbating as well or just watching it like, oh, that's a nice v- vagina? My guess would be they're I probably jerking off. Hole two Don't to hold me to one. it. No. <laughs> um, actually, that was a, that was kind of something in Nux Insomnia with the husband and wife who were having sex in that very graphic scene. Is there's a point made about how like the the father has to picture porn he's watched in the past and how a huge part of like their sexual act is just him kind of imagining other women that yeah. he's seen. And uh, what was oh the that old Black Mirror that we rewatched recently where oh yeah where they, they like play back better sex they had once yeah. while they're having like you the know, married couple boring, sex the most boring sex imaginable like this two otters trying to other, eat like, a fish zombies um, I mean that's an old episode of that show but that was probably drawing from the same well of porn addiction or people kind of just being more comfortable via technology via easy access. So it's a nice piece of work. It's, uh, I mean, if you go onto Blink Inc.'s website, I mean, they, they're mainly commercial work, but it's always very high-end stuff. It certainly stood out as a higher quality animation that you would usually see on television. Could you imagine as well if this had been done in live action, how twee it would have come off? Yeah, I mean, it could have. I mean, it would need visual effects and stuff, but having it be animation, I think, maybe makes it less mundane. There wasn't a whole heap of other stuff. There was, oh, the new Netflix show that you've been watching, oh, you quite like. Oh, yeah, liked, close enough. Which wasn't the sort of, I've, I've been kind of dipping in and out of it. I quite like it, but I haven't been sort of watching it sort of actively. But it it's seems like it's more relationships in general as people kind of get older. Yeah, it's one of those ones where the first episode is a bit weird and some elements of it don't make a huge amount of sense. So I think the first episode, I was like, what the hell is this? But as soon as you get over that first episode, it's, it gets quite good. And then you can go back and kind of understand the world they're building in. It's quite surreal. It's a bit like Tucker and Bertie, how yeah. off the bat it's a bit... They kind of throw everything at They don't ease you into it. No. And then if you get acclimated to it, you can then go back. Yeah. It's a bit much. And Rick and Morty, actually, for me, like, I, I yeah, couldn't get into it for the longest time because the, the first, first two episode. episodes, I was just like, I don't like this. And then I got into it. And mm. then I'm still not crazy about the first two, but it sort of, it makes more sense. 
in terms of the world building. I think that's probably the case. And I think nowadays it's harder to do that because actually back in that day when you would watch things, you probably would actually join a show like third episode in and then go back and watch things yeah. if you'd liked it, where now you do have a more of a tendency to start straight from the beginning. Mm. That was how I surreptitiously was able to get you to watch The Sopranos. <laughs> because we tried to watch it from the first season, which weirdly has dated more than any of the other seasons. And I remember you just, it didn't yeah. hook you at all. So then I would just have it on, like from the sort of fourth season on, when I'd be doing stuff in the living room. And I think you kind of like, by osmosis, kind of passively got into what was happening. So then we were able to go back and... I'm like a dog tree. <laughs> This is how you get me to like shows. You're just like, just, just have it on. Maybe I'll uh, give her a treat when she asks <laughs> a question that I like. Give her a little stroke. Make sure she's paying attention. It hasn't yet worked with Twin Peaks. No, and it never will. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not a foolproof okay. method. But. So yeah, this show is called Close Enough, and it's by J.G. Quintel, who we met in Annecy. Several years ago now, uh, he did a show called Regular Show, which I think is wrapped up, perhaps, or we put up an article, actually, uh, by Martin Warren, a uh, sort of 10th anniversary article, which is interesting to think of, that it still feels like a relatively new show, but that we've hit the 10-year mark with it. Wow, so, really? Yeah. How's... No, wait, what? I think because it had been on a few years when oh. we met him, so it wasn't like right at the beginning. Right. Like when we met Rebecca it was right Sugar, it was before Steven Universe was even really known. So yeah, this kind of retains, I think, the fantasy element of regular show, but paired with this, like people my age, I guess, like who are sort of struggling with being adults because they can't really let go of the things they really like about being children and teenagers, but they have a child and... They have certain obligations and responsibilities, but they also still like fun shit. Yeah, and they just generally can't. Like, it's about one of them wanting to pursue their dream of being a game designer, but whilst also having, like, a normal day-to-day job. And then the other, the mother has, not uh, like, a more proper job yeah, so that they can actually afford to live. But they're, they're living in a richer area in order to put their kid in a better preschool. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, they're also living with the dad's former, I think, college roommate who has a PhD and is a professor and his ex-wife, who is a rich kid who's on a, you know. A trust fund kid? Yeah, like has her parents' money. And they're the, they have sort of a with benefits situation, don't they? Or? Sort of. I think only in like one episode. Oh, okay. So everyone's like, there's definitely room for this the show to grow because there's a lot of like interesting characters that sort of play off each other but none of them are fully rounded yet yeah it certainly seems a lot more enduring than quite a few new animated shows that have been popping up what struck me about it was that if you took out the swearing there would really be no reason why kids and adults couldn't watch it quite weird storylines like it's basically like the regular show except everything is sort of pushed to the extreme so like there's an episode where they go clubbing because they want to prove that they're young but if they uh do things that are like too old like talk about like aged whiskey or like old bands or anything they get killed <laughs> okay. uh in like some sort of cult way <laughs> like they get like um like uh, logan's run i guess yeah kind of yeah because it the bar's called logan 
Ah, there you go. So they get like lifted into a big ceiling fan blade. <laughs> Uh, so basically, yeah, and then there's like another episode where uh, they're in a haunted house and the haunted house sort of makes them old and they sort of see their future and they think they've died and stuff to sort of make them live their life more right. and stuff like that. So it's just, yeah. So, not, so it's perhaps a little darker edge. Yeah, it's, it's a darker edged show. But what's quite interesting about it is it still comes through from Cartoon Network. Right. Because at the end it has a Cartoon Network and I not don't... Adult Swim. No, and I oh, it's more just that I didn't think Cartoon Network made adult content of any variety. No, that was always it. It was that Adult Swim was the adult block of Cartoon Network's output. So it's interesting that it's it's still labelled as a Cartoon Network show, even though it's being yeah, even though it's being shown through Netflix, and I presume not on Cartoon Network Mm. because. You wouldn't be... A, I don't think you'd be I allowed to let it, kids watch this. I think it was originally made for HBO. I think I um, saw that when I was checking through the article that went up. Is it about sex much? Like, is there... Yeah, there's quite a bit of sex in it. Because right. it's obviously about this, like, young couple who have this daughter, but they're still... They're only in their, like, mid-30s, if anything. Yeah. And so they're, in a lot of ways, still, like, teenage kids, and there's a lot of, like, self-reflection back on that about things they want to do as parents and things they want to do as young adults and some of those things have come true and some of them haven't and they're just trying to do their best and it's very much talking to the kind of audience that would be adults watching cartoons on a Friday night, you know? That's what it sort of feels like is is this sort of generation that feels like it started with me, like Mm. people my age is like, we not only want to indulge our nostalgia, we kind of... You've created overindulge it. it. We make it better than it was. But you've also created an entire industry and economy based around it. Think about when we were kids and like all the cool shit kids can get now about animated shows or stuff really for children that we buy. Yeah. Like either their parents buy them or we buy for ourselves. Like yeah, think yeah. of things like Comic Con and stuff. Like the sad fact of the thing is all these things that like kids love and stuff, they are their own economy, but there is this whole other economy of adults who buy basically kids' toys. Yeah. And that's what's made animation such a lucrative industry in some areas of it at least, because you're no longer just making stuff for kids, you are making stuff for kids and then their parents and then a bunch of people that live in their basements. So yeah, it seems like this show kind of seems to be appealing to that slice of yeah. society people are sort of age but unusually by also slicing away children yeah because it's not for children like you say there's no reason really a child can watch it except for the swearing and the sex references yeah which are a bit above something like the simpsons where it's sort of like the kids to. playing with like a toy rocket and then they realize with horror it's actually a dildo or a vibrator. Oh, well, it's not even like you're meant to think it's a rocket. One of the characters goes, Has anyone seen my vibrator? And then like the little guy's like, Whoa! Oh, okay. So it's, it's not even like they're hiding it. The only thing they do do is pixelate it out, which I don't really understand why. Do they really? Maybe I'm misremembering, but I feel like they pixelated it out, but I don't yeah. understand why if they did. Because it's not like we don't know what it is. Yeah, I'd be surprised if they did that on Netflix. Maybe, maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe I mean, maybe they made it deliberately because sometimes pixeling something out is funnier. Yeah. So yeah, that was it. Was sort of nice to see that there was a show that was actually quite watchable above all else. Like it, it does seem like there's potential there. 
So yeah, that's a kind of a pseudo-recommendation, I would say. Um, you can check out that article on the regular show as well, if you're in a JG Quintel mood. I think we sort of tapped out what we wanted to talk about in this episode. I'm done. Super. All right, bye. Bye-bye. That's it for another season of Intimate Animation. I mean, it's been so spread out that I'm not sure if season's even an appropriate term. Yeah. I think that's kind of the future as regards to the sort of podcast, but we'll see how it goes. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll be back uh, in the new year with season four. Make some more films, goddamn. Make some more sex and romance films. Yeah. And we'll talk about them in our podcast. Righty ho! Well, until next time, happy intimate animating. Bye bye! <laughs>